The very first words that I wrote for my message tonight when I was writing my sermon were the following. This sermon is going to suck. So if you came to be entertained or learn one more new truth that you won't be able to do, leave now. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to be up for the next three weeks. People are going crazy. Mike, speaking three weeks in a row? Oh, my gosh. He's like the senior pastor or something. My gosh. So if you have a favorite and I'm not him or her, then you can leave now. <laughs> what is Scum of the Earth Church? What is our vision? That's what I'm going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We call ourselves the church for the left out and the right brain. Ta-da. See, it's up there. Let me tell you how they came about. Reese Roper, the founding co-pastor, dubbed us the church for the left out. It said so in all the flyers he made the very first week we wanted to do church. He had great flyers. You know, nobody will point at you and laugh when you come to scum. You know, the place for nerds like you. Um, scum of the earth, it'll make the voices in your head stop. Things like that. Make the voices in your head stop. Yeah, yeah. But, but what does it mean to be the left out and the right brained? I think uh, what it means is, is that we want to be the church for the kind of people who, in grade school, got picked last for kickball. If that was you, then Scum of the Earth was created for you. It means that we want to be the church for folks who can't fit into other churches. We had several folks who were asked to leave other churches for various reasons and decided to find or create a place where they could be themselves and invite others who would then feel comfortable. Scum of the Other Church uh, means we want to be the church for folks. <laughs> like, like if you were a band kid and not on the football team, how's that? I mean, historically, Scum of the Earth Church on Super Bowl Sunday never saw a dip in <laughs> attendance. That's not true anymore because we actually have folks who like football now, and I think more because we like folks who enjoy Super Bowl parties <laughs> more than they like the game. It means we want to be a church... For people, if you were a theater major and didn't understand anybody who would want to be a business major. <laughs> or a music major and didn't understand anybody who wanted to be an architect. Although architects are kind of, they're kind of creative, aren't they, really, honestly? You just want one that knows his math really good, if you ever build a house or something. It means we want to be a church, if you were... 
for people, if you were some kind of weird mixture of any of the following, you know, like the lacrosse player who writes poetry on the side, or the punk rock kid who gets straight A's, or the cheerleader who is secretly a goth princess on the weekend. Or the kid raised in a Christian home who has decided to question everything he was brought up with and whether he wants to believe it or not. If you've ever felt left out of anything, then we want this to be a safe place for you. But we're dancers at SCUM, we're not marchers. Not many of us are list makers. We're the kind of folks who can't remember where they put the paper and pencil. That's, that's us. And so, historically, we have been the church for the left out and the right brain. If you're neither and you're still here, well, welcome. <laughs> Revel in your left outedness. That's so funny. Honestly, I mean, we are so right-brained that, I mean, I actually love it when people who are left-brained come because, you know, there's someone there to, you know, do weird things like count the money or organize, <laughs> organize things. You know, so. If you are that way, then welcome to you as well. And honestly, I've talked to some people who kind of like the feeling of being a little bit left out. Like, they're usually the cool folks in most venues that they're in, and they come to scum and no one pays attention. They think that's really great. Of course, if you have the other side of it, it's so funny to me, and I don't know if, but invariably, if people get invited to scum of the earth, and they're a bit, you know, extreme then they dress in the most extreme way possible the first time they come to scum, hoping to elicit some kind of reaction, and they don't get any. <laughs> Nobody cares. Now, if our vision is to be a church for the left out and the right brain, then our mission is what helps us to get there. And so we're going to post the mission of Scum of the Earth Church right now on on that wall, and there's actually right above your heads in the back. It's there as well. But I thought it might be cool if we read this out loud together, okay? Let's go into your church mission statement. We strive to be a church that seeks enemies with God, has relationships with others, cultivates creativity, and uses everyone's gifts Let's presence while seeking truth. This is our need for a Savior. Passionately yet respectfully shares the saving love of Christ. Demonstrates God's love in our community. Now, church mission statements are kind of a generic bunch. I mean, everybody's got to include certain things, right? And, and all those things that most churches have in their mission statements are present in there. But you'll notice they're crafted in such a way that it's got a little bit different slant on things. I mean, you wonder sometimes, why don't we have just one worship team 
of our very, very best musicians and singers. The reason that we don't is because of that line that says we cultivate creativity and try to use everybody's gifts. And so we've had as many as seven different worship teams at one time, which meant that if you were on the worship team, you got to play once every two months about. Some people got to play more than that because we didn't have enough drummers or enough bass players or something like that. But that's why. As a result, sometimes the music's a little rougher here than it is other places. But we're willing to live with that because our mission constrains who we are. We're a church. We're trying to be a place for the right brain. That's musicians. That means we'd like them to come and feel like they're part of things. That's why we do that. That's why you don't hear the same person speak every week. That was one of the deals when we first started, we don't want the same person speaking every week. We want men and women to speak, and so that's what we try to do. Another reason that we don't have me speaking every week, honestly, is because I, feel, I felt that if I had uh, me giving the sermon every week, then pretty soon scum would be people between the ages of 40 and 60. <laughs> I think it's funny, but it's true. One of the reasons I wanted to get in the background and push others in the front was because I personally felt a call to people who were younger. Now, confession time. If you're my age and you're coming to scum, you're welcome to come. But I don't pay much attention to you unless you're one of those people who is trying to reach back into the left out and the right brained. And then you get some of my time. If you're just here to see what you can get or try to fill up what you need, you don't get a lot of my time. It's cold, isn't it? You wouldn't think a pastor would be that heartless, but I am. It's why we don't have big evangelistic campaigns with brochures and such is because we want to be passionate about sharing the gospel, but also respectful about it. We'd rather make a friend and let them know about our faith in Jesus than try to make sure that they adhere to some doctrinal truth that is in our statement of faith. We've got a statement of faith. I think every church should. But that's why we aren't like that. I mean, I'm a fairly evangelistic guy. I I like to give people the opportunity to, to come to Christ. May do so even tonight. But I figure you're here. You want to be here. You want to hear me speak. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So... I probably have the right to say something like that, being as you know you're at a church. See? But that doesn't mean that when I go to a restaurant and talk to the person serving the table that I am about leaving a witnessing tract and very little else. If you go with me, to a restaurant, you will know that I am weird about getting to know of the people who are serving me. 
their names, carrying on conversations, and then giving very, very large tips and maybe never saying anything about Jesus. One time, this is so great, at the Greek town where uh, I've gone off and on for years, we had this Lithuanian waitress named Rita. And I think by the time she was here from Lithuania, she was trying to make money so she could go back and go to graduate school. And she had been around for a couple years. By the time she was going back, we had a big scum party to say goodbye to Rita. We bought her an iPod, you know, and I think maybe the Passion of the Christ movie. And she knew who we were by that time after two years. But I'm saying that's the kind of thing I'd rather do. It just seems more... What's the buzzword now? Organic? I think that means we don't, we don't use any additives or pesticides when spreading the gospel. I think that's what that means. All right. All right. We at SCUM believe we're on a mission from God, to borrow a phrase from Jake and Elwood. A mission from God. That's for you Chicago ones out there. <laughs> but you're probably home watching the Bears game, right? So anyway, um, um, <laughs> see, I like football. This is the crazy thing, too. You would not have considered me a left-out person in high school. I'm just being honest now. This is not in the notes. I'm going to just tell you the way it is. I was class president for three years. National Honor Society, varsity sports, a straight arrow. The fact that God has me here at scum of the earth, that, my friends, is a miracle. A miracle of humility that he's worked into me over 20-some years. Because I thought I was the shit, man, let me tell you. That's the great thing about scum. I can say things like that because it's exactly what I mean. I mean, it's exactly how it, that's the connotation. That's about how you feel, how I feel about looking at myself in the past going, you were such a jerk and an idiot, even though you thought you were so hot. I mean, it is God's grace to me to be here with you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Anyway, I'm on a mission from God. You're on a mission from God if you're part of Scum of the Earth Church. Like every church is on a mission from God. Some churches are more inwardly focused. Some churches are more outwardly focused. At Scum, I'd like to have a bit of both going on, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But every people of God have been a people on a mission. It's not just for us ourselves, but it's for the world. God is trying to do something. From the time he called Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, to come out of a polytheistic, that means many gods, type of religion and follow the one true God. From the moment he called Abraham, he was trying to create a people who would exhibit his love, his compassion, his glory to the rest of the world. And so draw the rest of the world in on what God was trying to do. With Jesus, we see God's D-Day, really, on planet Earth. 
sending his son to secure a beachhead. Reconnaissance had been done for thousands of years before. Prophets and seers and poets who had talked about the coming kingdom. And God sends Jesus to create a people for himself out of the chaos. We're people on a mission. Every Christian is on a mission, part of the great global and even cosmic mission of God calling people back to himself. And so, to illustrate this a bit, I want to go to Joshua chapter 3. You'll see it up on the wall here in a minute, but if you've got a Bible, please pull it out and turn to Joshua 3. Better that you should read along, even in a different translation. All right. Notice what God does here for his people who are on a mission. The, the Jewish people are coming into the promised land. Moses has died. Joshua is now in charge. They're moving into the promised land, and these are some of the instructions God is giving as they're crossing the border of the promised land, which is the River Jordan. Joshua 3, starting in verse 14, the New Living Translation. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. The Ark of the Covenant, you should all know from the Indiana Jones movies. (laughs) All right? It was the visible presence of God for the Jews. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up at a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathon. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Now, does this sound familiar? Like maybe they had this happen before when they were in Egypt? With the Red Sea, there he goes. God is doing it again, letting him know that he's there with them. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord, your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. 
These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. All right. So, people on a mission. And God says, grab stones. Why the stones? Why the stones? Was it so they'd remember so that they could cross over the Jordan River again in the future and have the same thing happen? No. That's not why. It was to remember God does amazing things to help his people. It wasn't so they could go back and do it again. It was to remember that God does amazing things to help his people. Why the stones? Was it so they could remember how cool it was to walk on dry ground in the middle of a river? I bet it was cool. No, it wasn't because of that. It was to remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's New Testament now. I'm showing the consistency of the Bible now. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. In other words, remember God. Why the stones? Was it so they could look at the stones later and say in their old age, look at that cool thing we did with God? I meant to add that at the end, with God. (laughs) No. It was to remind the ones who came after them, their children, the next generation, about who God is, about what he's like, about the kinds of things he does to help his people who are on a mission from him. That's why. Now, if this is in the Bible, and this is true of God's people, past, present, and future, then it should be true of me, Mike Sayers, right? It should be true of you as well. And so trying to bring this thing up to date here, I uh, brought a big bag of rocks, a bunch of stones. I gotta find the right one. Forgot about these not being in order down here. Ah, yes. This is my first rock. This is what it reminds me of. I was in my latter 20s. By this point, you gotta realize that at 20 years old, I knew that God wanted me to be in ministry. I changed my course of study in college. I knew he wanted me to minister to younger people. So I went from being a pre-med major and taking all those science classes, which then I had to graduate with, you know, that did nothing for my graduation requirements. 
those extra hours that you all have when you don't really plan well, or when you switch like I did in the middle. I was 20 years old when I knew that God wanted me to work with young people for the rest of my life. I remember going and telling my mentor about it in a Taco Bell at the corner of Lasky and Secor Roads in Toledo, Ohio, the home of the Mud Hens, the home of Tony Paco's Hot Dogs, and the glass capital of the world. I remember telling Gary, Gary, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And Gary said, no, Mike, i tell you what. Why don't you get a real job first? Why don't you do something and then go and be a minister? Because, frankly, I don't really go for the guys who've never worked a real day's labor and are in ministry, like right out of college. I went, crap. It's not what I want to hear. So... I went and I taught for a couple years. And then I got married, moved, was going to go into ministry. And, of course, everything fell apart because I had a beautiful wife who had no idea what it meant to be married to a minister as she was raised Catholic, although it was kind of hot being married to a priest, if you know what I mean. That part was cool. But she had no context for, for ministry. I was working two ministry jobs at the same time for a Presbyterian church and for Young Life which meant that I was working like a job and a half. And um, it was pretty obvious after a while that I had to quit. Besides that, the money dried up, and the senior pastor hired me left. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go back to teaching high school. And so that's what I did. And then I had other jobs after that because I wasn't making enough money. All that to say, by the time in my late 20s, I'm starting to lose hope that this will ever happen for me. I'm working in a steel mill and uh, pretty much hating my job every day, but I did it. And I take this group of young people to a Christian concert in, this, in Michigan. From Ohio, we go up to Michigan, we go to this concert venue. Why is there a big board on there? All right. Sorry, people at home, the, the, the music stand just fell over. So I go to this concert, and the kids are all scattered around listening to some Christian band, right? And, and I'm in the back just paying no real attention, <laughs> just back there, just mind on autopilot, right? It's kind of like if a, your mind was a TV screen, it would have all those little black and white fuzzy things, you know? And then it was as if my TV screen mind went black and these big white letters came across. I heard this voice. It was almost audible. It was loud. It was in my ears. I never experienced something like that before. I wanted to turn around and see if anybody was talking to me in the empty rows behind me, but I knew they weren't. I didn't know if it was my pizza talking to me from lunch that day. I had no idea. But the voice said this. It said, Mike, someday a band like this will come out of your ministry. And then it was over. I went back to work. The band didn't happen. 
Not in the youth group I was leading, not in anything. For one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years, ten years, eleven years, twelve years. I meet a few young adults when I'm working at a Presbyterian church in Capitol Hill who are forming a band. It was actually a side project. It wasn't even their main band. It wasn't even complete yet. The band, I brought the missing piece to a concert. The trombone player, the arranger. The band was Five Iron Frenzy. All of a sudden, slowly, I became their pastor. We had meetings in my living room where we went over their mission statement, their goals for the year. Remember Jeff the girl, Leonor, telling me, Mike, we're the only band I know out there with a mission statement. I became their kind of pro tem manager until we found the people of Five Minute Walk. So one of my stones is uh, Five Iron Frenzy. God did that. Another one of my stones is um, getting fired from the Presbyterian Church where I was working in Capitol Hill. Um, We had a new senior pastor that came in. I'd been there for five years. And um, he had plans that didn't include me. I never forget the uh, words of Joyce Sawyer, a counselor here in town, who came to my office after I was, you know, asked to. Re- they don't fire you in churches; you're asked to resign. Sorry. Um, but nobody's there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she said, Mike, I think someday you're going to see this as God's kiss in your forehead. I thought she was nuts. I'm, going, I'm getting fired. I have four children. One of them is going to college next year. You're crazy. And I know what it's like to get kissed in the forehead. I grew up in a Greek home. <laughs> and it feels nothing like this. Being fired is what led me to consider doing something with the Bible study that Five Iron Frenzy had gathered around in terms of creating a different kind of a church for different kind of people. I look at that as one of my rocks, people, that says God is doing something in my life, that I'm on a mission. Okay. The, uh, the next rock is labeled 02022000, February 2nd, 2000, Groundhog Day. Seriously. You were born in 2000, really? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. Well, happy birthday. Your birthday is the same birthday as Scum of the Earth Church. That was the day that um, about a dozen people gathered in our living room. Mary made a meatloaf in the shape of a groundhog. (laughs) I'm 100% serious. 
I think there were turnips and potatoes around it, things a groundhog would eat that were part of the stew there. We watched Groundhog Day by Bill Murray, with Bill Murray, and um, we dreamed up Scum of the Earth Church. That night was the first night of several meetings. That's one of my rocks. Nobody sit there. The, uh, the next rock is, um, it's got um, the Refuse, Seattle Scum, and Morning Church on it. It's a really amazing thing when this little tiny church that you begin begins to spin off other little tiny churches. It's like being a daddy all over again, except corporately. Now, the refuse was a little church we had in Colorado Springs. Um, It died in its infancy. I remember going down there for the funeral, and we celebrated the brief and glorious life of the refuse of the world in Colorado Springs. But dear to me, nonetheless, we lost the, uh, the teaching, the founding teaching pastor. He had to go, he had to leave seminary here in Denver and go back to Michigan to help take care of his very ill uh, mother-in-law along with his wife. And so, slowly but surely, it kind of dwindled. Scum Seattle, we even planned that one. It was John and Raleen Swanger who did it. Um, they decided they were leaving Denver. They went, to Den- they went to Seattle. I get a call a few months later, hey, Mike, they really need a scum of the earth here. Um, would you mind if we did something and call the scum of the earth? They go, hey, I have no jurisdiction over the name. You can go ahead and use it. And now, really, well, yeah, but we don't want to just do it on our own. We want to do it in conjunction with you guys there in Denver. I'm going, really? Okay. And John and Raylene had been with us for years before that. They actually ran the toll gate where we met. And I knew they knew scum. So they started a scum of the earth Seattle. It's still going to this day. It's doing great. It's doing great. And then morning church, which most of you probably don't know or realize. We've got a morning church that meets. I know it's weird in the morning. <laughs> Here. About 10 o'clock or so, there's breakfast before that. But, um, yeah, warms my heart. Lots of little kids running around that church. And it's small, it's intimate. Actually, they're nicer than we are at night. Um, but, yeah, it's a rock. And the last one here is uh, called Scum Home. This building. Witnessing that miracle been over that before. Not going to go over that again right now, but let's say it's a rock, okay, of memory. Trust me. It's lodging in there. All right. So why these stones right here that I've lined up precariously on this ledge? Why? So that I could do it all over again or that we could do it all over again? Is that why? No. So that uh, we could remember how cool it was? 
No. So that in our old age, we could look back and say, huh, look what we got to do with God. No, that's not why. It's so that we can remember who God is and what he's like, so that in the future, when he calls us to something else that may be even harder or bigger, we'll believe that he's with us, then we can do it. What does God have for Scum of the Earth Church in the future? The vision and the mission stay the same, folks. I mean, really, honestly, the vision and the mission stay the same. But what are my hopes? Now, I've, the council, the church council knows all these things because I've been talking about them for at least a couple years, but I thought I'd share them with you. I am stoked about the possibility of tiny little new church plants with people who don't have to wait until they're 46 years old to actually do what God's called them to do. That's what I hope. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking seminary training or mentoring or anything. I think it's all important. I think it's all essential. But I don't want a mega church. So if you're here wondering, when are we going to outgrow this building and get a bigger one? It ain't going to happen. At least not in my lifetime. I'd rather see a dozen new church plants use this building on a different night of the week or a different time of the day than have a bigger church. Because I feel like once you get bigger than the people in this room, you stop relating to one another. Once you get to the place where you can't have a meal together, it it becomes awkward. That's what I hope for the future. I'd like to see... uh, Full-time staff at Scum Seattle. Right now, the young man and who's leading uh, that group, the, the protege of uh, John and Raylene, Zach McCauley, is leaving his job and trying to raise support so he can do it full-time. I think the church is really going to benefit. I think people will be cared for when that finally happens. And I'm trying to help them to do that. I'd like to see the morning church strengthen. I'd like to see... A full-blown kids program in the morning church. Because you know what? We're never going to have a full-grown kids program at night. I I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not going to happen. We might go to five years old max, and that's it. Because if you've got kids who are going to school the next day, you should be having them in bed before scum is over. (laughs) And I don't want... I want to be able to talk like I've talked during parts of this sermon without, you know, grade school ears going home and to school the next day and saying, guess what I heard in church last night? (laughs) I want to talk about sex. I want to talk about venereal disease. I want to talk about... All sorts of things that Junior shouldn't hear. Because I think it's about time the church got honest enough to talk about those things out in the open. 
I mean, the world does. All I got to do is turn on television and sit in there talking about it. All right. But on Sunday morning, I would like to see a full-grown kid's deal. You know? They should know about veggie tales. You know, they should. <laughs> Bob the tomato. And Larry the cucumber. And what's the alter ego of Larry the Cucumber, the superhero? Oh. Larry Boy. God, I love Larry Boy. All right. But not on Sunday nights. Okay. I am looking forward to what I will call, for lack of a better term right now, the Scum Study Center. This is a big one. You know how some people don't know what they want to do when they graduate from college or in the middle of college or maybe even after high school, they're kind of wandering around and they're going, you know, I think God wants to do something with my life, but I'm not sure what it is and I don't know much about the Bible and I kind of sort of wonder about uh, suffering and how God could allow it and evolution and all those things and, I, and I'm wondering about homosexuality and I'm, I mean, I'm wondering about, is the Bible really accurate and true? Can, is it historically reliable? Those kinds of things, you know? I would love to have a place, maybe just a three-month stint in the summertime, when people could come and they could go to class for like half a day, and they could learn some of that stuff. we got some awesome teachers here. Have a communal lunch, and then for the second half of the day, we send them out in the city of Denver to do good stuff, plant Community gardens and Five Points and work with Urban Peak and Sox Place and Prodigal Gatherings and you name the place. They become like interns, people who are preparing for a future of leadership in the kingdom of God. That's what I want to see. I think we have something unique to offer, an urban study center. I mean, listen, I would love to have Jesus call me to go to Kona, Hawaii and do a study time there or the Caribbean, or the Switzerland, or London, or someplace cool. But (laughs) we need a Denver place for those folks who aren't called by Jesus to go to Hawaii. And I'm all for going to Hawaii. We have people there right now, three people from Scum are in Hawaii right now doing that. Praise God for that. But I'm saying... It'd be unique. It'd be different. The left out, the right brain would come from all over the country. God, it'd be a mess. <laughs> it'd be terrible. Can you imagine? <laughs> but it'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. I would like to see a broken church conference. I've talked about this once before. Not a conference where you can come to learn how to do church better and cooler and slicker, but a place for you if your church sucks. Come on over to Denver and scum with your church. We understand you. We know that you're but dusts like us. I love that a conference that, that, that has for the featured speakers people who have totally messed up their Christian lives. You know, affairs and 
all sorts of stuff, and they just kind of crumble, and then nobody pays attention to them anymore for years. And then we call them and say, hey, could you come and talk to us about what it means to be broken before God? That, to me, is like the most awesome conference ever. And, of course, we would have to work to put it on. Now, more stuff like this in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to try and, and, and paint you a snapshot of what we might become. Individually and corporately. Within scum and outside of scum. But I've asked a few people, and we have some time. What are your scum stones? I mean, what gives you hope that God will actually help us in the future like he has in the past? What are some of the stones that you have? What are some of the the rocks of your memory? So um, if you're one of those folks I talked to beforehand and you're ready, come on up. I would love to hear what your stones are. Deva. Hi. Way more nervous to talk than sing because I don't know what's going to come out. But um, I was fortunate and blessed and privileged to be part of the original Bible study that Scum came from. And... uh, I had been going to that Bible study for a couple of years, and it it went through its peaks and valleys, definitely. But um, when Mike got fired, I barely knew him, and he barely knew me. Um, but I knew Reese. And he invited me out to coffee one night after the Bible study, and he... Um, he wanted to talk to me about something he and Mike had been kind of planning in the works for like a year or two years or something. I don't know, but um, talking about how he wanted to start this church that was going to have half pipes and <laughs> for skateboarders and bands playing every night. And um, I said, great, that sounds so cool, you know. And then he said, and I think we're going to call it scum of the earth. And I think my jaw probably dropped, and I said, Reese, look. And I I took out my Bible out of my bag, and it had stickers all over it because I was 20 or 19 or something. And um, it's still, I have the same Bible. Anyway, I peeled back one of the stickers that had been covered up, and it said, scum. And I had covered up that sticker because I was attending my parents' church as well, which was very conservative. And I felt like if they saw this sticker that said scum, I would really have to sit down and explain myself as to why I'm a sinner. And I had never read that verse, 1 Corinthians, but I felt like it had fit. And that sticker was given to me when I lived in Indiana, and a friend of mine had a clothing company named Scum. Scum has been a very common thread in my life since I was living in Indiana. And, um, so 
I knew in my heart I, I, I had to be a part of this. And we met in Mike's living room to start this church, and he was adamantly against the name Scum of the Earth. And he fought us for a while until he finally gave in. But this is God's church. This is God's plan. He is doing it. I'm telling you people, we, if it was up to us, we would not be here. God keeps doing this. He keeps having us meet here every Sunday. And, and I love this church with my whole heart. And I love it so much that God had to take me away for two years to Ohio. And it was the worst time of my life to be away from this church. But I was getting in the way of the vision. And I know that now because when I came back, it was in a completely different place than where I was trying to steer it. And so I am thankful that God is doing this here. And he's letting me help and that is the training he is giving me for my kids, my legacy. God, you do it. Let me help. And I hope that you all can be a part of that and that you will be able to help here in what God is doing. I totally agree with Deva. I don't know what's going to come out. Um, I don't know. One of the things that is like, I used to work with a, a inner city ministry called Prodigal Gatherings that we still kind of partner with at times. Um, and I think it kind of had something to do with, I did that for three years while I was coming to SCUM. And then I left for a year and a half, and halfway through that, Mike invited me to come and be the missions pastor. And I never thought of myself as a pastor, never thought of myself as really much to do anything with missions other than doing inner city ministry. But um, it's been an amazing gift to me. Um, I got to go to, I've been to Lame Deer multiple times with multiple people here. I've been to Scotland twice. Um, with some amazing people, and I got to go to Heathrow Airport this last summer with four other people, and we got sent back, and Mike mentioned that as one of my stones, and I really got pissed off because I don't really like that, but, um, but it was good, and one of the things that it showed me was that, the, like, and I know this about more than just the four, the, people, the four people that went with me, but I, the four of them, I saw it especially during that time, and that was the, like, God's here. Like, we sat there for 13 hours in the detention room. We got shuffled back and forth through security two times, I think. Um, we basically were told to have hope until the, la- until the plane took off, and then the plane took off. And, like, in the midst of that, like, everybody had grace. Everybody had love. Everybody had hope. And, like... The four of them um, were, it was such a gift to be able to watch them. And all four of them are people that I'm really honored and proud to, to be friends of. And there's so many of you here that I know that are those types of people that 
when the when it gets hard, like you're the ones that are going to stand up, and you're going to be like you're going to be the self-sacrificing ones, and that gives me hope to see what scum's going to be in the future. Thanks. All right, last call. So my final question is, what are your stones of remembrance? Because certainly it's about us corporately as a body and being the church that the Lord has called us to be. But that's not all of it. It's about your life individually. Can you point to certain times in your life. You know, if, if, if I had 200 stones, I'd pass them out with magic markers and ask you to write something on it for you to take home. But you know what? I got those stones from around my house, and you can find stones around your house. We're in the Rocky Mountains, for crying out loud, so, you know. <laughs> Go get your own stones. And write down what God has done. I don't care if you got a pile of 25. It would be awesome to like get some super glue or some epoxy and put them all together and make something that's got like all these things that God has done in marker on them. That would be so cool. Maybe you don't want it in your bedroom, but it could be outside the door. I think it'd be awesome. Because, you know, every time you walked by that pile of rocks, when your life was crap, when it felt like God was a million miles away, when you just got fired, or just when you were stuck in the Heathrow Airport for all that time, or when you were in the godforsaken Ohio. <laughs> it's okay. I'm from Ohio. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ohio, and I and I and the the Bucks frustrate me like crazy every time they have a big game. But anyway, they lost by three to USC yesterday. Okay, it was horrible. Anyway, see, I told you I'm not a scum guy at heart. See, it's like God just—I am your gift. Anyway, um. If you had a pile of stones every time you passed by when things were going rotten, you know what you'd say? God is faithful. I know what he's like. I know how he thinks. I know how he helps his people who are on a mission that he's ordained. And it might be the most biblical thing you ever do with rocks in your entire life. All right. Deva, would you take the uh, worship band back up and let's finish by uh, worshiping God. Thanks for your patience, guys.